0: Yes, greetings in Jesus' name. I know I say this occasionally, but I really do mean it. We could go home right now and be fed (laughs) with everything that we heard, including the testimony, how God works in our lives. I think it was probably A.W., I'm not, it was probably Lewis, whatever his name is, that said the word. I um, can't think of his full name, Lewis, but ever. C.S. Lewis. Lewis, that's right. <laughs> that God's whispers in our pleasures, speaks to us in our circumstances, and shouts to us in our pain, something like that. And that I think is a lot of truth in that. And then I thought of uh, the pastor's appreciation day. I had no idea today was pastor's appreciation day. My children didn't tell me that. That uh I just, my main, well, there's a couple things, lots of emotion, but a couple things. First of all, I am not worthy of that. And next all, I am very thankful for you. <laughs> and... um I think I can give a testimony. Yes, you are better than the children of Israel. <laughs> I, uh, been a while since I was, uh, threatened to be stoned. <laughs> and, uh, some other things. Well, thank you for that. It's been a blessing. So this morning, We want to speak to a specific group in the audience, although I think there's enough of God's truth speaks to each one of us. Uh, It's a second message on marriage, and uh, the first one was sort of a general overview, and this one will speak specifically to us husbands. And understand that this is a work in progress in my life. It is if you wait till you have attained to it something you just might not preach it. So we can preach God's word and recognize that I am joining you as we look at God's word. Why don't we just pause for a word of prayer? Lord, we are grateful to you. For your great mercy to us, each one of us, and together, Lord, we seek thee, we seek your face. Together, Lord, we have knowledge of sin, and together, Lord, we rejoice in your salvation. So, Lord, I pray for this morning you would speak to us through your word, especially to us as husbands. But I pray Lord that your, your truth would be lifted up before us and that we could grasp it, understand it, acknowledge our needs, recognize our successes and purpose to, uh, put our hand in yours as you lead us in the full execution of your purpose for us on this earth. Lord, we uh, pray for those who may not have been able to have been here today and just pray, Lord, for, for us as a congregation that you would take us on. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. So like I said, this is the second message on marriage. Marriage is the first human relationship that God instituted. Before there were parents, before there were children, there was a couple. There was a marriage. And um, if you just think of that, that is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why wedding vows are so sacred. They go way back to the original plan of God. God designed it. That marriage and the vows surrounding that and the commitment to that is absolutely sacred. Then, marriage is a way that God has appointed to point people to God. Because in marriage is all that imagery, uh, image that... Um, I can't think of another word at this point. All the image of, uh, of how Christ relates to the church and so on. And in the family, talking about the marriage, but also not a family generally, is, it's God's laboratory where, where, um, His grace and His provision are, let's say, put to the test they're experienced. They are um, the victories and the failures and the trials and the difficulties and the, and all those things in a home. It's it's where God's grace. It's a laboratory where God's uh, grace is active. And when Christian marriages fall short of that, then we actually fall short of the beautiful picture that God has intended. I'm going to have a little bit of reflection of the last message. Most of you were here, but probably not everybody. I'll just go over a few points. Marriage, a reflection gone bad. And we looked at the very familiar passage in Ephesians 5, where we see that marriage is a reflection of Christ's covenant love for his bride. And I made this statement, if we look at Christ and the church. And then we see our marriage as a proper reflection of that. We have the replica to follow in marriage. In looking at Christ in the church, we have the replica to follow in our marriage. So there were three points. Number one is headship order prescribed, in which we looked at how God gave directives to Adam and not Eve and how Adam was primarily held responsible for the failure to obey God, even though Eve was the first to do so physically. And even to this day, in Romans, Paul, under God, put the fault on Adam. So, that is the headship order prescribed. Number two was headship order was established before the fall. Because we can get the idea that this order was established as a result of the curse. you know some people have that idea of work you know before before the curse there would have been no work. no, that's not true. Now clothing was before as a result of the of the curse but not the headship order. in fact, sorta something I did not mention the last time, sort of uh, tagging on the tails of that, that the headship order was a part of the curse, tagging on the tail of that, now that Christ is come, the headship order is done away with, That the belief of some, that there is no male nor female, and that the roles and distinctions are erased in Christ. That is patently false, but it does stem back to uh, some of that thinking. And then number three, how the or- headship order was marred. The fall had brought many changes to our first parents. And one of them was, um, that one that I had focused on, on the curse that, or the uh, consequences of sin that's given to Eve was, and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And there we see Uh, The beginning of conflict in marriage and the beginning of the roles being reversed and not the proper place. And when I talk about roles being reversed, I'm not talking just about a woman not submitting. I'm not talking also about the man not taking leadership. It's both. And so that was the uh, consequence and the dynamics and the storm that has been going ever since then. That's a reality of a fallen world. <clears throat> now, the title of this message is Husbands, Reflect Christ's Love to Your Wives. Whereas the last message, we focus a lot on the structure of order and headship, this message will mostly assume that, that this order and headship is in place. And the husbands are to lead out and be primarily responsible and wives are to submit and respect their husbands. But this message will focus on the husband's role of living that out as a, as a sample of Christ. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter five and let's read those passages there. We'll stick mostly to there. In fact, there's so much material to cover that I feel like in many ways I'm not doing full justice. I'm not sure if I'm getting all the all the um, nuances. I know I won't, but we'll go as as well as we can here. Starting at verse twenty five. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church." For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you so in particular, every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Can we say that the standard to the husbands is high? Because the standard is who? It's Christ. Now remember the first message. We talked about reflection. We're going to talk about reflecting today. Remember what reflection is. A reflection is a thing that is the consequence of or arises from something else. In other words, you have the original and then you have the consequence of a reflection. The most simple would be simply a still lake where you can see the shore on the other side and then you can see the reflection in the water. That's a very simple one. But it's more complex than that. I had used this example. A healthy skin is a reflection of good health in general. So good health, well, how do you know you have good health? Well, outside, a healthy skin would be an indicator of that. And a husband who is properly loving and cherishing his wife is reflecting the true object, which is Christ. That is who we are to reflect. We are to reflect Christ in how we love our wives. The way we love or don't love our wives is not so much of a reflection of our wives as it is a reflection of us and our relationship with Christ. If a husband says, I am not going to love and cherish my wife because of, and you can fill in the blank. He thinks he is giving information about his wife. But he's actually saying more about himself. He is saying something about his wife because he's giving information. But more importantly, he is saying something about his relationship with Christ. If you are a husband, you can't love Christ without loving your wife. You're not, they're not consistent with that. So, the first thing is well, what is love? What is biblical love? When you say, or when I say, I love pizza, is that biblical love? When I say, I love Venita, do I love her biblically? And I have a question for you, and I want you to think a little bit before you answer this question. Here's the question. Can you fall in love? Maybe I read for it. Can you fall into biblical love? What do you think? You don't have to answer, but I don't care if someone gives an answer. Can you fall into biblical love? What do you think? Well, if we say we can succumb to a feeling, the answer is yes. As far as love. Then we can ask the question, is love a feeling (laughs) or is it only a feeling or is it a feeling primarily or is it a choice? Where can we go in scripture to find out what love is, biblical love? And we say, well, first Corinthians, right? We can go there. Let's go there. Go to first Corinthians. And we'll find out if we can fall into love. These Corinthian church here had a lot of things going for them, but they did have a huge deficit. They had a huge deficit of love. So, what is biblical love? And then ask the question, can you fall into this love? Let's take a verse 4. Charity, this is love. It's agape love. That's the same word as used love in many other times. It's just charity used to hear. Charity suffereth long. Okay, let's just stop there. Charity is long-suffering. When in a difficult situation. When you are running late for an appointment, and you're driving down a road, and someone pulls out in front of you and makes you brake, And then goes 15 miles an hour below the speed limit. And you just. Fall into love. Long suffering I mean. (laughs) That's what happens. Well you know what people fall into. People fall into road rage. That's what they fall into. So if. Biblical love is defined as long-suffering when you are wronged. Do you fall into love? How many of you do that? (laughs) This kind of love. Next it says love is kind, charity. See verse 4 here. Love, charity suffers long, and is kind. And I'll just use this one example. Kind to who? To the unkind. That he just ate my last that last scoop of ice cream that I was planning to eat when I get done with my food. And so he ate the last scoop of ice cream, and kindness just wells up in my heart. And I just have kind words. It's so easy to speak nice, kind, sweet words to him, that ice cream scooper. Well, I think we got the point. Maybe we need a power that kills off that essential Grasping, comfort loving person that I and you are. That's really who we are. Who are we? Essentially, by our nature, we are grasping, comfort loving people. And, and we need something to take us out of that. So, can we agree, biblically speaking, that love is not primarily a feeling? That love is a choice, love is an action, love is demonstrated, love is always a commitment demonstrated in action for the best interest of the other person, the object of love. That is love. And husbands, love your wives, even as Christ love the church now let's recognize two and this is actually wouldn't have to be said but it's going to make a special point of this number two let us recognize what is not in the commandment of husbands love your wives what is not in that commandment what word is not in there Anybody have any idea what word is not in there that we often put in? Husbands, love your wives if they are nice to you and respect you and honor you and are responsive to you. And the word if is not there. Now, I know we wouldn't have to have to go, but I'm going to make a point out of this. Because I think we can we can excuse it. I recognise I'm in a journey with you, brothers. <laughs> and by the way, this kind of love applies in all circumstances or all situations of life. We are commanded or our, our love to our wife is not at all to be conditional. On her response to us. As far as our love for her. Our responses and, and how we interact. Well, well, of course. It will be conditional on, on the responses. Obviously. That's, that's life. But our commitment to love. Is not conditional. To her response. Even if they are not submissive. Even if they mistreat us. And don't return our, li- our love because love her in such a way that respects how or reflects how Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Well, he gave himself for her. He gave of himself. Well, what does that mean? Well, at the very least it means sacrifice. God has called us as husbands in a sense, to sacrifice, in a sense, to lay down our lives for this woman, this daughter of his. Maybe she's not a daughter, just depending who you are. But that's actually the foundation of marriage, that commitment of laying down. And we need to remember that we don't answer to our wife. We answer to God how we obey or how we love our wife. And so if we... I'll let that go. God says, I command you to lay down your life for her, and I command her to submit to you. You are to obey me irrespective of the response of the other. See, if we marry a spouse that meets all of our expectations. And I think many of your husbands will say, Yes, my spouse has met all my expectations. Well, you probably don't say that every minute of every day, do you? <laughs> but if you have, if you marry a spouse that meets all your expectations, you will never learn how to love unconditionally. Now, maybe this is where some of that learning and pain comes in at, because of times when, when your wife does not meet your expectations. And the goal, and we'll talk more about this later. Is our, the goal is not to conform our wife to our what we our image of what we think a wife should be. We are to conform her to Christ's image. Which, if those two line up, that's great. But instead of both of us trying to line up our spouse to our image, <laughs> let us focus on aligning ourselves up to Christ's image and there's a groweth together. Husbands, before you criticize your wife for not meeting your perceived standard of submission, think deeply, make sure you are meeting your standard, of being like Christ and loving her. I know I've heard it said already that that verse in the Bible, wives submit to your husbands, hasn't been given to the husbands. That's been given to the wife. I think it's it's probably Michael Pearl that said that that husband, you shouldn't know that that's in the Bible. (laughs) At least you shouldn't use it in the way it's used sometimes. So, love to your wife is not a feeling. It is a choice for her good. And it is to be walked out regardless of her response. Well, what next? Number three. Love has a purpose, it has a goal, it has an aim. I'm talking about a husband's love to his wife has a goal and a purpose and an aim. And we're going to. I'm going to reread a few of the verses that he Christ might sanctify and cleanse it, the church with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives. If you ask a hundred people, Out on the streets, what does it mean to love your wife? What for answers do you think you would get? What does it mean? What does it mean to love your wife? And you would get a variety of answers, but very common ones would, well, you you love your wife. You take her out to a fancy restaurant. You take her on trips. You buy her nice things. Gifts? Generally, the world looks at loving your wife in a materialistic way. But it is easier to give material things to your wife than it is to do what God said to do. Much, much easier. By the way, I'm not saying that you should not give your wife gifts and so on. I'm not saying that. I don't want to be stoned. But we, we tend to love in response to loveliness. That's our tendency. Not so with Jesus. He loved us in order to make us lovely. Purpose, aim, goal. He demonstrated his love by giving himself up for her. Because he left that fully satisfied, satisfied place in heaven completely everything he had. And he gave that up and came down. And you know the suffering and the deprivation and the, everything he went through. He did that. That is how he demonstrated his love. And he did it for a purpose. He was after a bride. Now I know that we have a courting couple in this room. And it's, and all that is, it's an intention. But we're talking about husbands that are married that have a bride, but this is a process. It's not, by the way, if anybody, if there's any question here, any young man question here, it doesn't end when you get a bride. That's the beginning. Well, almost. It's a little before that, but not too much. Christ came for the purpose of getting a bribe. And then Paul used this model to remind us as husbands what is to characterize the nature of our love for our wives. We should... Love gave herself up, sacrifice to sanctify her, to make her holy, to fashion her according to his plan and purpose, So that in the end, well, the Christ, Christ is the true image. In the end, he gets a bride that is spotless, that is holy, that is dazzling, that is splendid. That's the goal for Christ, and that is a goal for us as husbands. I know it was Michael Pearl and, and again, I'm just going back in memory and I don't know the exact quotes, but I basically heard that he said he's listened to husbands talking about their wives. And he said, when we got married, my wife was energetic. She was, she was full of life. She was gracious and helpful. He said, now she is drab. She is. Uh, Low-key, she's depressed, she's tired, She's in fact, she's sort of mean. And then his answer is, okay, who's been messing with her? Mostly you. It's your responsibility, husbands, to lead your wife to godliness and growth, both by our example and by our input. That's exactly what scripture says here. That's exactly what it's saying. If you look at the Christ and you look at the husbands. Help in prayer and in the word and in spiritual activities. You are we. I can say you say we are responsible for the spiritual temperature of our home. We are the ones who are responsible. What words are allowed in our home? What attitudes are tolerated? What influences are permissible? The activities that are done there, the clothing that is worn, the things that are out of order are our responsibility. And obviously, the wife should not resist her husband's move towards holiness in the home, but rather be an asset and a help to that. And she should thank him for his leadership if he does that. Husbands, for us, our wife is our most important ministry. Excuse me. It is our most important occupation. It is our ministry to sanctify and cleanse and wash our wives and nurture them and cherish them and have them prosper. We have a great part in that. We do not have full control. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but we, but we have a, a major, major part. Husbands, if what you are doing and you do nothing else for the gospel, I don't recommend that. I recommend you do other things in spiritual ministry. But if you do nothing else, yet if you are doing this and you are successful in doing this, you are proclaiming the gospel. You are showing the gospel to the world and how it works. You are showing as a model, as a pattern as an example of Christ and the church. You have that, and the willing, joyful submission of the wife to her husband, then you had the most perfect picture of the gospel on earth. So husbands, go ahead and love your wives. But I need to say a little bit more want to say, make sure that we, 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 we uh, as, as I'm exhorting us to take leadership, and I'm thinking I'm not being misunderstood, and I don't think I am. But pity the poor wife and children of the man who is set on ordering his home according to the laws and commandments of God, but is not touched by the grace of God. Pity that home. I know I have seen homes. Of that nature. He makes sure. Every I is dotted. That every T is crossed. And he decrees. With an iron rule. He's the boss and people know it. And they. He, he keeps control on that home. And it's this horrible headship structure. That gives the. True headship order a black eye in the, in the eyes of the world. It's oppressive and it's bondage, and women and children suffer under such men. These men take Bible verses to control and oppress those under their charge. And these men ought to fear the judgment day. See, the original call of God to the Israelites, we talked a little bit about the Israelites today. The original call of God to the children of Israel was a call to himself first. And then there was a call to his law. And it's always in that order. It has to be in that order. Though there is a call to law, it is not first. We would rather have a man who realizes that he has been given authority in the home so that he can sacrifice himself and his rights for his wife to lead her. For her benefit, for the benefit of the children, and all for the glory of God. When men take the head of the home and live like Christ, their wife's life Tends to become encouraged and blessed, and she becomes as a fruitful vine. And I'd like to read just the, just the uh, accompanying passage in, in this point about a man who, who has relationship first, who fears the Lord. Let's turn to a uh, very familiar psalms in Psalms 128. I thought it was very appropriate to just read that psalm during this time. Psalms 128, we're going to read just the six verses there. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Now you can see in the context, it's implying, it's speaking to a family man, to a husband the one that feareth the Lord and walketh in his way. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, that children shall like olive plants round about that table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, and thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel." So the gospel, the grace of God, the salvation of God can take any harsh or cruel or passive man and make him a gentle and gracious and godly leader in his home. Just like the gospel can take any woman who is controlling and manipulating and nagging and domineering and disrespectful and make her respectful And loving and submissive. With a meek and quiet spirit. That's the power of the gospel. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't any struggles for children. Of course there are struggles for wives and children and husbands. There are struggles. This is life. But if our hearts are turned towards the true God. We will grow in those struggles. Men. We were created to lead our homes. We were created to lead God's daughters in our home. And a wife that finds her joy in being a helper to that man, that is a heavenly marriage. That is a picture, a reflection of the Lord Jesus and his church. In his inaugural speech in January 20th, 1961, John F. Kennedy spoke this challenge in his speech, and he said, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what can you do for your country. And so, my fellow husbands, ask not what can my wife do for me, but ask what can I do for my wife. You know, it's not Christ's first and primary goal to make us happy. Christ's first and primary goal is to make us holy. Holiness is the straight gate, but it leads to life. It's a narrow, constricted way, but it broadens to life. Versus the broad way, the happiness way, the disobedient way, It's a wide gate, but it leads and ends up in death. The broad gate will accept alternative views on marriage, but it leads to bondage. So, there is point number three, love has a purpose, it has a goal, it has an aim. Okay, four, loving your wife has an outcome. We men are goal oriented. We like to we like to uh focus on things and we like to have a goal. We like to plow through and we like to come out the other side. Well watch the other side here. Verse twenty seven. Let me go back to Ephesians here. Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty seven. We have read it already, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. So, the point here, loving your wife has an outcome. Christ gets the church that he prepares for himself. The larger context, then, is marriage. So, you see the parallel and we alluded to it already. Husbands, you get the wives that you prepare for yourself. What does mom say? You lie in the bed that you make? No, I'm not saying that right. You, um, you made your bed and I lie in it or whatever. It's, it's, it's a saying like that. It's a par- it's a proverb. But basically it applies here. Husbands get the wives they prepare for themselves. When a husband treat their wives forgivingly and lovingly and tenderly, they usually get a wife who is more forgiving and more loving and more tender. And when husbands treat their wives unforgivingly and unlovingly and hatefully and cruelly, they tend to gender that in their wife. So there are at least two reasons for bringing your wife along this sanctifying way that we talked about. One is it's commanded by God. I hope you see that. That it's God's will that we do that. It is our ministry. And then number two is that the other reason for being a strong spiritual leader is that you are preparing the wife that you get for yourself. So if a husband is cleansing and sanctifying his wife, what does he get? A cleansed and sanctified wife. <laughs> Husbands are heavily involved in what they get from their spouse. And then think of what comes along with this sanctification. What are the fruit of the spirit? What do you want your home to be like? The fruit of the spirit is love in your home, joy in your relationship, and peace and even long suffering amazingly yes you can it's a fruit then think of the opposite the works of the flesh of anger and wrath and all those things by your biblical love husbands and leadership you will gain a wife that is more spiritually mature that's pretty well a given Wives are not dependent on their husbands completely for their spiritual maturity and their walk with God. They are not. But husbands being that spiritual leader, we will help to bring our wives along to spiritual maturity. And when you have a wife that is more spiritually mature, what do you get? You get a wife that is more gentle, that is more pleasant, that is more loving, that is more forgiving. And she grows, and what husband would not like that? Now I have one disclaimer. We as husbands can do everything right. We can do as God has told us to do. We can sacrifice. We can give our lives. We can put away things that we could otherwise do and focus and bless and things that our wives, it does not Guarantee the outcome of our wives, and there are situations like that. We do have tremendous influence in the lives of those around us, and especially our spouses, but we do not have control, and we must remember that, husband, you do not have control of your wife, not full control. You have influence, you have, I say, authority, and in the right sense, that is right, you do Our spouses influence us, but our primary influence should still be from God and his word. But there are situations which for at least now that spouses may not respond or appreciate the husband's loving sacrifice. So husbands, in all cases, set your eyes on the goal. The goal is not having a life free of conflict. The goal isn't, even winning your wife's affection and her love. That's not the ultimate goal. The goal is to be obedient to the Lord and to reflect his image. That's the goal. Let that be the goal. Let the consequence of that be the other things. The goal is in obedience to God to love and to stand guard and to protect what God has entrusted you to serve your wife as a faithful soldier, no matter the outcome. And don't desert that post, regardless of her response. Do not desert your post of being that husband. In other words, I know that we don't need to talk about it here, that the divorce is not an option, but... Discouragement and giving up is another option, even if you still stay together. Don't do that. Now, for the remainder of the message, there would be so much we could add, and I'm a little conflicted. I could, I, in some ways, I'd like to go on some more practical ways of how to love. We could go into First Peter 3, where it talks about uh, living with your wives according to knowledge that your prayers be not hindered, and we could go, well, there to be a whole message on that. You could um, go to Colossians chapter 3, where it says, love your wives, and don't be bitter against them, and find out, well, what does that mean? But I'm going to dwell on one more, one common problem that men have, especially today. And number five, the last point here, it is men who don't, lead and this act becomes close to home i am not i'm passive by nature i'm not a born leader and i tend to follow and we are all in different places but as husbands well i want to speak on this major failure of many men of our day if we go by percentage and we look out in percentage and find out how many marriages where the husbands are leaders and where they are not, I don't know what the percentages would be. It actually depends where you are. If you would be in the Middle East or some places in Africa where the the culture is strongly on male leadership and the feminism movement has not gripped that that area, you will have men who lead Well, you will have men who treat their animals better than their wives. So you do have, depending where you're at, you have in some cultures where that's not an issue. Men lead. Whether they do it well or not, they are leaders. So the abuse and the wife beating, it's a terrible sin, terrible. But in our country, most men, the greatest temptation is probably not to be harsh or cruel. It's probably to be passive or lazy. And both of these sins have consequences. I'm going to call it a sin, okay? Whether you are a strong and a harsh and a cruel leader, or whether you are passive and lazy and are not leading, both of them have consequences, Both of them are negative. So when a man is timid or lazy in his home regarding leadership, God wants him to be a leader and wants him to exhibit and lead in his home. And for some reason, he doesn't. You see, no one criticizes a husband when he is loving his wife. No one criticizes. I don't know. Ever hear any criticism of someone who was loving their wife and they got criticized for it? But if a husband takes leadership and expects structure and order and his wife to follow him, that is criticized in our society, even in lots of churches, because you have churches who fall into two categories the egalitarian churches and the complementarian churches the one believes in headship of the men the other does not it's in the churches so so they are criticized for leading out so you will find many people upset that wives need to submit to their husbands but you cannot miss it in the scripture It's a firmly and clearly established order. Every time a wife is mentioned, you see a corresponding reference to her husband and her relationship to him. A wife is inextricably linked to submission to her husband. It is her role. Now, some would say, well, that is barbaric, it's abusive, and it's unloving. It stunts the opportunities of women. But the Bible does not shrink back from it, and neither may we. As leaders of churches, we may not shrink back from that. We are not doing our people a favor if we water down the scripture. Is that a watering down? No, I think it's a denial. Well, since submission... Is such a criticized and misaligned truth. You would think that the most common complaint from women are is that my husband makes me submit and I chafe under it. But it isn't. The more common complaint of, of people who do marriage counseling and so on say the most common complaint is my husband won't lead. My husband won't lead. I wish my husband were a leader in my home, in our home. I wish he would be that man of God that Scripture calls him to be. I wish he would set the spiritual temperature in our home. I wish he would be the initiator. I wish he would make decisive decisions. You know, in our country, many men are passive because it's accepted and even applauded. applauded. But think of this. It is impossible to have a home where nobody leads. The only way it would work is you have a home where nothing happens. But there's no homes like that. Somebody will lead. If the husband doesn't lead, If he's timid, he's tuned out, if his interests are somewhere else, the responsibility to lead will fall on the wife's shoulders because somebody will lead. And it's this reversal of roles that was the first sin in the garden. Adam shirked his duty to lead his wife because it's pretty clear in the scripture that Eve ate first, but Adam was with her. Adam shirked his duty and did not listen. He did not lead. And in essence, I suppose that is probably, I don't know, the only reason, but probably one of the reasons why God holds him responsible, which is why God will hold us responsible for our homes as well. I think of one other, there's there's a few examples in scripture, but one other time when a husband listened to his wife to his detriment was Abraham and Sarah so Abraham was given a promise he's going to have a child and at least 10 years went by and so Sarah said to Abraham well you know obviously I'm not going to have any children why don't you take Hagar and have I can have children through her now Abraham was in this essence the same place where Adam was. He could have faith in God, which God said, you will have a child. Or he could listen to the temptation from his wife and, and, and do what she says. And he listened to her, he failed. And the consequences of that we're still today. The consequence in the garden is still today. The consequences of Abraham's sin is still today. A husband leading out, properly leading out, is not a little thing. Major, major consequence. Obviously, not all the consequences are that big. Clearly not. But it's the point that I want to make. Men, husbands, we are pulled many ways. We are pulled away with our work. We are pulled away with our hobbies, our interests. We are pulled away with friends, ministry, and sometimes simply our own laziness pulls us away. I have just one question for us in light of that. As you look in scripture and you observe the life of Jesus, And I haven't done this, but it would be a very good object to see how he led, how he led his disciples, how he was in charge. He was, he's our example. As you look in scripture, does your life right now, your your leadership in your home line up with his life? Does your life presently, right now, reflect his life in the area of your love and sacrifice and leadership towards your wife. Good thing for us to consider. Is she your first ministry? Is she prospering spiritually underneath your nurturing? Think. Can you clearly identify areas of sacrifice, things that you could and would do if you were single, but you don't do because you are married and have a wife. And young men don't get married until you are willing to accept that responsibility as well. So, just to go over in the end here love is not something you fall into. We got that question answered, I think. Number two, the word if is not in the command to love your wife. Three, love has a goal, a purpose, an aim to promote godliness and holiness in her life. Four, love has an outcome, a wife of spiritual maturity and splendor. And that's in generalities, obviously. (coughs) And number five, love leads the home decisively and wisely. Husbands, reflect Christ's love to your wife. Maybe we could, I know I need it. Why don't we just, if you are able to, let us kneel for prayer and let's just take this all before the Lord. lord we are grateful to you you are the perfect and holy and righteous son of god and you have given us the perfect example lord as i read about if we think of the song that we sang we as a congregation i think of me as myself i i have consciousness of sin a consciousness of need of a lack in our own life and i pray for each one of us especially for our husbands here this morning as we reflect in Your Word and what Your purpose is for us, that uh, we would rise up, that we would uh, not shirk our duty, that we would confess our needs and our sins, if to our wife, if we need to, and and move forward, Lord. And then, Lord, with the glorious purpose of all of this is that we would exhibit. To the world and to the angels and the principalities and powers and whatever is there to see, Lord, the, uh, the magnificence of Your grace and of Your what You can do in the lives of people who give themselves first to You and then to uh, do as You have taught us to do, Lord. May our marriages be examples. May Lord, may we be exemplary, Lord, in this area as we uh, seek to love our wives and lead them according to your glory. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.